Today, Jesus reminds us that the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He quotes this from the book of Deuteronomy, from that great prayer called the Shema Israel, taken from the first two words in Hebrew, meaning Hear, O Israel. This is the oldest fixed prayer of the Jewish people being recited day and night from ancient times as a reminder of the absolute importance of loving God before all else. And this is rightly considered to be the greatest commandment. It echoes that first commandment of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, to have no other gods before God and to not make false idols of anything in creation, including ourselves. And certainly it is right for us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because only God is God. Everything we have comes from him, is a gift from him. He is the source of our existence, and in Christ he has become our Savior. Certainly this is the greatest commandment. But when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he gives this and then he gives a second. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why does he link these two things? Isn't it enough just to love God? Isn't that what's most important? Loving God is what will get us to heaven, right? Why does Jesus remind us that we also are commanded to love our neighbor? God is the one who created us, not our neighbor. Only God can forgive our sins, not our neighbor. God will be our judge at the last day, not our neighbor. Only God can grant us eternal life. So why isn't loving God enough? Why must we also love our neighbor? Well, I can think of three reasons. I'm not saying these are the only three reasons, but there are three reasons that I wish to offer you today. The first is that if you truly love someone, you love what they love, especially the work of their own hands. I'm sure every parent here at some point in their life has been given a a piece of artwork by a four-year-old. And the kid says, do you like it? And you look at it and you kind of squint a little bit and you say, yeah, that's a great-looking giraffe. And he says, it's a turtle. Oh, that's a wonderful-looking turtle. I love that turtle, right? And then he says, I made it for you. What do you do with that piece of art? You clear a spot on the fridge, right? You hang it in a place of prominence. And you love it, not because it's a particularly impressive-looking turtle. (laughs) It's not because of the quality of the art, but you love it because you love the hands that made it. And if we can love some weird, squiggly, giraffe turtle thing, right? If we can love that because we love the one who made it, how much more should we love the work of God's own hands? 
If we truly love God, then we should love all his works, and we should love what God loves. In the first chapter of Genesis, we are told that after everything God creates, he looks at it and he says, it is good. In the book of Wisdom, we read, For you love all things that are, and loathe nothing you have made, for you would not fashion what you hate. God loves every part of creation, and we are at the pinnacle of God's creation. God loves us in particular so much that he became one of us. So when we look at our neighbor, we are looking at someone who is beloved by God. God loves that person. And if we love God, we should love them too. That's reason number one. We should love our neighbors because God loves them. And that reason alone should be enough. But I have two more. The next is that man does not just sit at the pinnacle of God's creation, but we are the only part of creation that actually shares in the image and likeness of the creator. We are made in God's image. We are made in God's image, and that makes us something like an icon of God. So when we look upon our neighbor, we are looking at the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. And that's not something that we can ever lose, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. It doesn't matter if your neighbor is young, or old, or white, or black, or male, or female, or rich, or poor. It doesn't matter if your neighbor is smart or talented. It doesn't matter if they smell funny and have a bad attitude. They are made in God's image. It doesn't matter what country they're from. It doesn't matter if they speak the same language as you. It doesn't matter whether they're unborn, whether they're handicapped, terminally ill, elderly, homeless, or in a coma. They are made in the image and likeness of God. Even if that person is an abject, unrepentant, horrible sinner, they are still made in God's image and still worthy of our love. It's hard to love our neighbor sometimes, I know. I was joking around the other day and I said, I'm going to get t-shirts printed up that says, Jesus commands I have to love you, but he doesn't say you have to make it so hard. (laughs) But even if you can find nothing else lovable about a person, you can love the image of God in them. You cannot claim to love God if you don't love those who are made in his image, period. There are no exceptions to that rule. That's the second reason. First reason, we should love what God loves, and God loves us. Second reason, we are made in God's image, and we should love God's image. And the third reason, it's a little bit less straightforward than the first two, but it's more practical, and it's this. The reality is, love is hard. Love requires commitment of the will. It requires us to make sacrifices. Love challenges us to give ourselves in service to something or someone outside of ourselves. That's hard to do. And because God is transcendent, 
God is outside of, of creation and he's invisible to our senses. It can be very easy for us to fool ourselves into thinking that we're loving God as we should. We can think that we love God because we have generally positive thoughts about God. We can go to Mass, we can say our prayers, we can pick up our Bible and read a passage from time to time. And we think that our relationship with God is pretty good because we do these things and we, like I said, have good feelings about God. But that's not what love is. Love isn't just having good feelings about the other person. Love's not checking off things on your to-do list. Love takes real work. And it's much harder for us to fool ourselves into thinking that we're loving our neighbors correctly, especially our closest neighbors, our spouses, our parents, our children, our friends. There's a reason why Jesus commands us specifically to love our neighbor rather than just loving people generally. For us to love someone, to really love them, requires we know them. Right? And because we're limited bodily creatures, that requires proximity of us. Right? I can say that I love someone on the other side of the planet, but if I never have to talk to that person or see that person or deal with that person or, or encounter them in any way... That, that love is meaningless, right? Doesn't really require anything on my part. But to say that I love someone that I see on a daily basis, I see their flaws, I see their inconsistencies, I'm challenged by them, right? That's love. And if I'm not loving that person as well as I should, I get immediate feedback. I know it, right? We can tell if we're not loving those close to us the way that we ought. They're present to us. We can see when they're hungry. We can see when they're sad. We can see when they're suffering. We can see their needs. And as their neighbor, we're in a position to respond to those needs. And if we're not doing that the way that we should, we will see the results often immediately. We can go our whole lives fooling ourselves into thinking that we're loving God rightly just because we have good feelings about him. And God knows this about us. And so he has decreed in his wisdom that he will judge our love of him by how we love one another. There's that great scene that's described in the 25th chapter of Matthew's gospel when Jesus is teaching us about the final judgment at the end of time. And he describes us as being divided up into sheep and goats. The sheep go to share in God's glory in heaven, and the goats go into eternal damnation in hell. And what's the difference? What makes one a sheep and the other a goat? Well, the sheep are the ones who fed the hungry and clothed the naked and visited the infirm and those in prison. And the goats did not do these things. Whatsoever you do to the least of these, Jesus says, you did for me. Jesus so identifies with our neighbors, especially the least of our neighbors, that the love we show to them is counted as love for God. And when Jesus says the least of these, he doesn't just mean those who have no money, the poor. 
right? Poverty comes in many forms. It could be those who suffer from any kind of want. Maybe it's money, but maybe it's food, maybe clothing, shelter, maybe health, knowledge, respect, or affection. How do we love those immediately around us that are in need? God puts people in our lives, particular people in our lives, for a reason. So that we can love them and be loved by them. So the greatest commandment is to love God above all else, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, to love our neighbor as ourselves. These two great commandments are inseparable. We love our neighbor because they are made by God and God loves them. We love our neighbor because they are made in the image of God and when we see them, we see that image. And we love our neighbor because God counts the love that we give to them as love given to him. You cannot love God if you do not love your neighbor because you show your love for God precisely by loving your neighbor. God is love, and that's the image in which we are made. We are made in the image of love. We are made to love, and we are made to be loved, not only by God, but by each other for all of eternity.